August 21, 1955, was a hot summer night in the town of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. A gentle breeze rustled the tobacco fields, and the air buzzed with mosquitoes. The sky was clear and dark. In a remote farmhouse outside of town, the Sutton family washed up after a nice Sunday dinner. They were entertaining some family friends and settling in for the remainder of their evening together. But the Suttons' quiet plans were about to change. When one of the guests stepped outside to get some water from the well, he saw something incredible. A silvery, oblong object shot out of the sky and landed on the property. He ran back inside to tell the others what he'd seen. Everyone assumed he was joking, but several of the Sutton men humored their friend and took a look outside. Out among the tobacco plants stood a creature unlike anything they'd seen on Earth. It looked like a little green man with glowing eyes, pointed ears, and huge claws. The men retreated into the house and grabbed their guns. When they ran back outside ready for a fight, the creature raised its claws and headed straight for them. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first of two episodes on the Hopkinsville Goblins, one of the longest and most bizarre extraterrestrial encounters in UFO history. An entire family of witnesses spent hours in their own home fending off strange alien creatures that became known as Little Green Men. Today, we'll discuss the events of that fateful night, as well as the subsequent police investigation and media response. Next time, we'll examine the official response of the United States Air Force and determine whether or not aliens visited Kentucky in 1955. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down and it 
21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In 1955, Hopkinsville, Kentucky was a small, bustling town located near the Fort Campbell military base. On the highway outside of town, the Sutton homestead sat on three acres of tobacco fields. Relatively isolated, their nearest neighbors lived about a quarter of a mile down the road. The family home was an old, unpainted farmhouse with one bedroom and a corrugated iron roof. The doors didn't have any locks, there was no running water, and the family had few connections to the outside world. No telephone, no radio, no television. The Suttons considered themselves independent. They didn't turn to anyone else for help. They preferred to handle things themselves. Despite its modest size, many people called the farmhouse home. It belonged to Mrs. Glennie Lankford, a 50-year-old widow who lived with her two grown sons, Lucky and J.C., as well as their respective wives, Vera and Aline. Rounding out the family was Aline's brother, O.P. Baker. In addition to blood relatives, Lucky's friend Billy Ray Taylor and his wife June stayed with the Lankfords. Lucky and Billy Ray became friends while working together for a traveling carnival. They were practically family including Mrs. Lankford's three younger children, whose ages ranged from seven to 12, a total of eight adults and three children lived in the one-bedroom home in Hopkinsville. And the family also had pets, a few cats, some pigs, and a dog. Needless to say, the home was crowded as the family sat down to dinner on August 21st, 1955. Around 7 p.m., Billy Ray went outside to get some water from the well. He was just pulling up the bucket when he saw something floating in the night sky. A large object hovered over the tobacco fields. Shaped like an egg and glowing like a ball of fire, it seemed to emit all the colors of the rainbow. And despite its immense size, the object was completely silent. Billy Ray watched as it flew closer and then dropped into a gully at the edge of the fields. He turned and hurried back into the house. Shaking with excitement, he told the group about what he'd seen. But the family didn't believe him. They figured it was nothing more than a meteor or a trick of the moonlight. No one even bothered going outside to check whether or not he was telling the truth. But about an hour later, the dog barked outside. It tucked its tail between its legs and hid under the house, terrified. Lucky and Billy Ray went out to the backyard to investigate. They noticed an unnatural green glow flickering in the tobacco plants. As they did, a creature emerged from the fields. It looked about three and a half feet tall and had a humanoid shape with arms, legs, and a round head. The ears were triangular with frayed edges, and its large yellow eyes jutted out at unnatural angles on the side of its head. It had no eyelids, so the eyes gleamed in the darkness. The creature didn't appear to be wearing any clothing. It had silvery metallic skin with a slight greenish glow. Its legs were short and spindly, but its arms were long in proportion to its body, so long that they almost reached the ground. 
and they ended in huge curved talons. Once the men spotted it, the creature raised its arms above its head. Taking the gesture as a threat, Lucky and Billy Ray dashed back inside the house and grabbed their guns. Once armed, the two men crouched inside the doorway of the house and peeked back into the yard. The creature was still there, silently marching in their direction. The two men took aim and fired. The creature did a kind of backflip like it had been hit by a bullet. Then it got down on its hands and legs and ran off into the darkness. It moved with alarming speed, using its front arms to propel itself like a primate. Moments later, another one of the creatures appeared at the living room window, its arms raised above its head. One of the men fired through the screen, and just like before, it did a backflip, got on all fours and fled, vanishing into the night. Despite the repeated gunfire, Mrs. Lankford remained unfazed. She assumed her boys were just playing tricks and shooting for fun. She and the other women continued to wash dishes and put the children to bed. But then, Aline Sutton, J.C.'s wife, came into the living room, trembling. She'd spotted one of the creatures from one of the home's windows. It was standing motionless in the yard. Aline convinced the skeptical Mrs. Langford to go see for herself. So Mrs. Langford and Billy Ray ran into the hallway, turned out the lights, and watched for intruders. A few minutes later, one of the creatures appeared from the shadows in the living room window. It allegedly had an angular, curveless body and looked like it was made of bright metal. Mrs. Langford said it reminded her of a large gasoline can. As the creature stared at them through the window, Mrs. Langford fell backwards with a scream. Billy Ray raised his gun and fired, blasting a hole through the window screen. Mrs. Langford had now seen the creatures with her own eyes. She was finally convinced they were real and they were aliens. But her realization may have come too late. The creatures had the house surrounded. To survive, the family would have to fight its way out. Coming up, the battle at the Sutton farmhouse takes a turn for the worse. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify.
Now, back to the story. On August 21st, 1955, an unidentified flying object reportedly landed in the Sutton family's tobacco fields in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. By 10 p.m., humanoid creatures with yellow eyes, long arms, and large claws were attacking their home. No matter how many times the Suttons shot at the creatures, they continued their siege of the house. It was like a game of whack-a-mole. Each time they fired, the aliens scurried away, only to return moments later. Finally, the men decided to go outside and see the creatures for themselves. But just as Billy Ray stepped out the front door, a claw reached down from the overhang above. It nearly brushed Billy Ray's hair. Everyone inside the house screamed. Aline grabbed Billy's arm and pulled him back inside to safety. Lucky pushed back outside and fired at the creature on the roof. Billy Ray shouted a warning. There was another one up in the maple tree next to the house. He and Lucky shot at it, knocking it out of the branches. But it didn't fall to the ground. It floated gently down to the earth. Another one of the creatures came charging around the corner of the house, coming face to face with Lucky. He fired his shotgun at point-blank range, but the shot made a ricochet sound, as though the birdshot bounced off of metal. The creature flipped backwards and ran. The Suttons had yet to injure even one. The little green men seemed to be bulletproof. They also moved so fast that it was impossible to tell how many there were. The Suttons never saw more than a few at a time, but the aliens kept emerging from the shadows all around the house. As the family hunkered down inside, they heard a sound coming from above the kitchen, a scraping noise against the corrugated iron roof, as if claws were dragging across it. The men went back outside and found another creature perched on top of the house. They raised their guns and shot it down, but just like before, it floated gracefully through the air like a falling leaf, landing on a fence nearby. The men kept shooting. It bent over and ran off on its arms and legs into the weeds. After that, it was clear to the Suttons that guns were not going to work against these aliens. The adults were terrified and the children were crying hysterically. Without a telephone, there was no way for the families to call for help. Mrs. Lankford tried desperately to calm everyone down. They didn't know whether the creatures intended any harm, but the men weren't interested in finding out. With no way to defend themselves, around 11 p.m., Lucky made a decision. They would have to make a dash for their two cars parked outside in the yard. They'd drive as fast as they could to the police station in Hopkinsville, if they could make it that far. The Suttons waited until they didn't see any of the aliens. Then, they bolted from the house. Once they made it safely to the cars, all 11 people piled in and sped off toward town. Around 30 minutes later, they pulled up in front of the Hopkinsville police station. The frantic group burst into the station, claiming their house had been attacked by aliens. The officers on duty were startled and didn't know how to respond. 
The Suttons were not the kind of people who normally went to the police. They didn't like authorities meddling in their business. Maybe they'd been drinking too much, but the Suttons' terror seemed genuine. So genuine that the officers called their boss, Police Chief Russell Greenwell. Chief Greenwell wasn't pleased to be woken up in the middle of the night by such an outlandish story. He thought it might be a prank, and he was not the type of person to take such jokes lightly. Chief Greenwell commanded a lot of respect in Hopkinsville. He ran a tight ship at the police station, making sure the department ran efficiently and effectively. But though he was somewhat skeptical of the Sutton's claims, he also had reason to believe them. Because he had a UFO story of his own. Just a few years earlier, Chief Greenwell had been driving by Kentucky Lake on a warm summer night. He spotted a glowing oval object hovering over the water. He and several other drivers pulled over to watch the craft. According to him, it stayed there for about 30 minutes before abruptly zooming off into the distance. After that, Chief Greenwell kept an open mind about UFOs. He didn't dismiss stories about flying saucers and extraterrestrials as nonsense. Instead, he tried to approach them rationally. So when he got the call about the Suttons, he reluctantly hopped into his squad car and sped over to the farmhouse. And he wasn't the only one on the way. The night duty officers had quietly alerted the state troopers, military personnel from Fort Campbell, and a few newspaper reporters. A whole caravan of cars were now headed back to the farmhouse, eager to unravel the mystery of the little green men. One of the investigators rode with Billy Ray. The man took Billy Ray's pulse. His heart was beating 140 times per minute, nearly twice the normal rate. Even if he'd been lying, Billy Ray couldn't force his heart rate up that high. Something had genuinely scared him. And whatever did could still be waiting at the farm. The police and the press arrived at the Sutton farmhouse in the early hours of August 22nd. The front yard quickly filled with cars and flashlights. Even with all the hustle and bustle, the Suttons refused to go back inside their home. They wanted police to search it first, in case any of the creatures lurked inside. Proceeding with caution, police searched the house. Even the most skeptical officers were careful, half expecting something to jump out at them. But nothing did. In fact, investigators didn't find much at all. There were a few shotgun shells in the front yard and some holes in the window screens. There was no blood, no footprints, and no sign of the creatures anywhere. Chief Greenwell looked for signs that the family had been drinking or taking drugs, but he couldn't find any bottles, paraphernalia, or signs of alcohol. There was no evidence of anything that might alter the family's perception of reality. But investigators did find something strange in the backyard. Near the fence where one of the creatures had allegedly been shot, the grass was glowing. It looked like a luminous puddle about a foot and a half wide, but there was no liquid or other substance on the ground. 
the investigators continued looking for other signs of extraterrestrial visitors. But the glowing grass was all they found. Possibly because no one went to check the gully where Billy Ray said the spaceship landed. Everyone was too afraid. Eventually, investigators gave up for the night. They'd come back the next morning and search again during daylight. It was around 2 a.m. when the squad cars pulled out of the driveway. The Suttons were on their own once again. All was quiet at the farmhouse, and they believed the excitement was finally over for the night. Reassured by the police presence, the family turned out the lights and went to bed. But Mrs. Lankford couldn't fall asleep. She prided herself on being level-headed. She'd been the one person to remain somewhat calm amidst the chaos, trying to get the men to hold their fire. Which was why Mrs. Lankford was so startled when she noticed a glow at her window. Standing right up against the screen was one of the little men. It was so close that its claws touched the window. Its big yellow eyes gazed into the house. Mrs. Langford was so alarmed that she didn't speak or move at first. She turned away from the window, hoping the alien was a figment of her imagination. But it wasn't. When she looked back, the creature had its arms raised above its head again, just like the others had when they first approached the house. Then, Mrs. Langford realized that the gesture might not have been a threat. Maybe... It was trying to communicate. Coming up, the little green men pay the family one last visit. Now back to the story. On August 21st, 1955, the Sutton family of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, spent four hours allegedly fighting off alien creatures who were attacking their house. The family defended themselves, but guns proved useless. The creatures kept up their siege, unfazed and uninjured. In the middle of the night, the family drove to the Hopkinsville police station, terrified out of their wits. Authorities went back with them and made a thorough search of the property, but they found little evidence of extraterrestrial invaders. Around 2 a.m. on the 22nd, the police finally left. The sound of boots stamping and car doors slamming gave way to stillness and silence. Things appeared to have calmed down. But as Mrs. Lankford, the family matriarch, lay in bed, she noticed a glow outside and saw another alien standing right up against her window. The green creature had its arms raised above its head, and Mrs. Lankford wondered if it was trying to communicate. Scared, Mrs. Langford quietly called for her son, Lucky. She told him to take a look, but not to shoot at the creature again. But Lucky ignored her request and grabbed his shotgun anyway. He didn't seem to care that the aliens hadn't hurt anyone. He just wanted them gone. So he aimed out his mother's window and fired. It's unclear what exactly happened for the next few hours, but the Suttons reported that the creatures continued to periodically approach the house until dawn. They saw the last little green alien in their yard just before sunrise. 
Then, as the sun crept over the horizon, the creatures abruptly vanished without a trace. The terror of the night was finally over. The family was baffled by what they had experienced. They didn't know what to make of the encounter. Almost everyone at the house had seen the creatures. Only June Taylor had been too afraid to look. There were seven adult witnesses and three young children with similar stories about the little green men. But none of them seemed bothered the next day. Despite the disturbing events of the previous night, the Suttons simply went about their business like nothing had happened. Lucky and his brother left early to drive to Indiana on an errand. Billy Ray went out hunting with a neighbor. The women stayed at the house. But while the Suttons seemed unconcerned, the police and newspapers were very interested. In the morning, several squad cars pulled into the yard. The police wanted to search for clues in the daylight. This time, they were determined to find out what had really happened. First, they searched the gully where Billy Ray claimed the spaceship landed. But they didn't find a UFO. In fact, they didn't find a sign that anything had landed in the area. The grass was standing up straight, perfectly healthy, not scorched by an engine or crushed. Investigators also checked the roof, where the family said they had heard the creatures scraping their claws. But the whole roof was covered in a layer of dust that was completely undisturbed. But they noticed new holes in the window screens that weren't there the previous night. This made sense, given the Sutton's claims that the creatures returned after the investigators left. Chief Greenwell wanted to check for consistency among the family members' stories. He questioned them individually, and he deliberately included contradictory details in his questions, like saying the aliens had small eyes. But each time, the family corrected him. Later that morning, the local radio station broadcast a report about the incident, and the story spread like wildfire around Hopkinsville. A horde of reporters from all over the region flocked to the farmhouse. Headlines about little green men and the Hopkinsville goblins sprang up across the country. Articles said that as many as 10 or 15 of them attacked the farmhouse. It wasn't just the so-called little green men that interested the press. It was the Suttons themselves. They wanted to get the scoop on this rural family who really believed they were attacked by aliens. Sightseers drove from all over to see the Sutton farmhouse, and they proved more intrusive than the aliens themselves. At least the little green men had stayed outside of the house. Tourists just walked in without knocking, taking pictures and prodding the family with questions. Because the Suttons didn't have locks, they couldn't keep them out. Eventually, a line of cars stretched for a mile down the road leading up to the farmhouse. Some of the sightseers even tried selling souvenirs on the lawn, treating the incident like one big joke. Despite all the attention, almost no one actually believed the Sutton story. One reporter even found a discarded piece of aluminum foil in the family's yard and jokingly said it was evidence of the little green men. But not everyone mocked the Suttons. An engineer from the local radio station named Bud Ledwith heard the story. He wanted to keep an open mind and hear what the Suttons had to say. 
Bud had some artistic training and thought he could draw the creatures from the family's description. So he grabbed his sketch pad and headed over to the house. He found Mrs. Langford, Aline, and Vera alone at the house. He asked them to describe what they'd seen and took care not to lead them on with any details. He sketched as they spoke. When he finished his drawing, all the women agreed it was disturbingly accurate. It was so lifelike that when Mrs. Lankford saw it, she shuddered and asked him to put it away. Not long afterward, Billy Ray returned from his hunting trip. Billy Ray caught sight of the drawing and picked it up in amazement. He said, that's it. That's it that looks just like it. Bud did another drawing after he listened to Billy Ray's description of the creatures. It was uncannily similar to the women's, though obviously Billy Ray had already seen the first sketch. Bud promised to come back later that day to get descriptions from the three other men. But when he returned, Billy Ray suddenly bombarded Bud with new details about the creatures that he hadn't mentioned the first time around. He talked about earphones, antennas, and feet with suction cups, all new details that nobody had mentioned before. Lucky and the other men added their own observations for Bud to draw. Though there was some disagreement on a few details, the basic outline remained the same. Short stature, bald head, no neck, big ears. The upper body was powerful and the legs were thin. But no matter how consistent the Sutton stories were, most people still believed that they made the whole thing up. Some viewed them as con artists. On August 23rd, nearly two days after the battle with the creatures, the Suttons were still dealing with crowds of sightseers. Mrs. Lankford pleaded with the public to leave them alone. The family even put up a no trespassing sign. But when the sign failed to stop the incessant visitors, the Suttons tried another tactic. They replaced the sign with a price list. They charged 50 cents for admission, $1 for information, and $10 for pictures. Afterward, most dismissed the Suttons' story as a money-making scheme. Newspapers called it a UFO hoax. The Suttons couldn't take it anymore. They tried leaving town but didn't make it far before turning back. They didn't want to leave their house unprotected with so many unruly tourists. They'd survived a night of alien attacks, but they were defeated by the public fallout. They were disillusioned and bitter. After that, they stopped speaking about the incident altogether. But that was hardly the end of the story. Over the coming decades, there were dozens of theories about what really happened at the Sutton farmhouse. Perhaps it was an elaborate get-rich-quick hoax cooked up by Billy Ray. Maybe, but the Suttons were not the only ones in Hopkinsville to witness strange phenomena that year. In fact, in 1955, people all over the Hopkinsville area also reported encounters with little green men. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next time with part two of the Hopkinsville Goblins. 
For more information on the Hopkinsville Goblins, amongst the many sources we used, we found A Close Encounter at Kelly and Others of 1955 by Isabel Davis and Ted Blecker, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Jay Cohen, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Kirsten Liu, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlane, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.